so great a cloud of witnesses. <laughs> so we are so great a cloud of bodyguards. <laughs> I tell you, a body like this needs all the guarding it can get. <laughs> oh, that's the microphone. I thought you wanted me to straighten my tie. <laughs> Hold till it turns green. Well, good morning, everybody. The blessing to be here with you this morning. We've been enjoying a great time around the word with uh, missionary Wayne Sheemish and the folk over at Faith Baptist at Regent's Park. Thank you for praying for our outreach this weekend. And it's a great joy to be with you here this morning at Southland. Uh, I enjoyed the opportunity to share in the word this morning with the, I guess it's the youth and young adults or the teens and in-betweens and whatever else there were. And I'm envious of the primaries and the uh, high schoolers who have five and ten friends. <laughs> if you ever get a friend, let me know what it's like. But I'm thankful <laughs> I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And uh, it is sufficient, I can assure you. But uh, If you take your Bible this morning and open to the book of Galatians, Galatians in chapter 5. Let's stand, shall we, for the reading of God's word this morning. I want to draw your attention to the seventh verse of the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. And our text this morning says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Simple question, profound searching answer. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless our time in the word this morning. May this time of worship, this time of fellowship, this time of stewardship, this time of discipleship all be used for your glory, your honour and your praise. Empower us now by your grace, your mercy and by thy living spirit, that the Holy Spirit would move with liberty and power in our midst this morning and grant us a, a listening ear and an obedient will. May we bring our lives into submission to the power of the living God. May you be glorified as our lives are touched and changed. We pray, Father, for those who visit with us today, who do not know and have no uh, knowledge of Christ, perhaps not having heard the gospel, perhaps never having received Christ as their own personal saviour. We pray you'd speak to their heart of the need of salvation. We pray for your own people as we are to grow in grace and knowledge, to be conformed to the image of your son, much change, much growth, much pruning, much watering and weeding is needed in our lives to become more like your son. And we pray that you would continue to do that work in our lives today through our time in the word. We thank you, Father. We're thankful for those who pray with us and pray for us. And we ask your blessing upon us now in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians is a very different tone to other letters that Paul wrote. 
You look into the letters of the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians, and you find Paul begins with a, a matter of thanksgiving and praise. It is not so in Galatians. The churches of Galatia have been deceived. The workers of the concision, as Paul refers to them in his letter to the Philippians, the mutilators, these men, these spiritual parasites who followed the ministry of Paul around Asia Minor, uh, seeking to sow tares among the wheat, seeking to uproot the tender plant, seeking to sow discord among the brethren with their false doctrine, trying to bring the Gentile believers and those that were scattered abroad of the Jewish nation, trying to bring them under another gospel. Uh, Paul pulls no punches when uh, he says to these people, which is not another gospel, but there's some that trouble you. And he uses the strongest possible language in reproving and rebuking, not only rebuking those who are the deliverers of this false doctrine, but a word of reproof to those who were receiving and believing and in doing so were departing from being under the grace of God and enslaving themselves to another God, a God of the flesh, a God of man-made doctrines, uh, trying to become somehow or other spiritual by doing things rather than enjoying true spirituality which is found when we are living for Christ. They had a little list that they were ticking off uh, for all the men, you have to be circumcised. You've got to come under the law of Moses. You've got to go through and you've got to be a keeper of the law. I mean, you look into the law of the Lord there in the books of Moses and you find these 613 something statutes, judgments, ordinances, commandments, all these things, you know, we often think the law of the Ten Commandments and there's so much more to it concerning eating and washing and all these things. In fact, by the time of the Lord Jesus Christ ministry, uh, they've already put aside the law of Moses and have got themselves under the works of men. The scripture tells us that they were, they were observant of their vain traditions, that they, had, that they no longer obeyed the commandment of God, they made void the word of God, that they may keep their own traditions. To them, winning the heart, of the, the heart of a man or woman for God was nowhere near as important as how they washed their hands or wiped down a table. And Jesus rebuked it sharply in Mark chapter 7. He said, having made the, the word of God of none effect by your traditions. They, they, have, over, they, they have supplanted, they, they've overridden the authority of God with the authority of men and enslaved men. And this was a great debate that we found that was dealt with in Acts chapter 15 when the council came together to, to, to discuss where do the Gentiles fit with the law. And of course the response of Peter and James and John and the men was, well, we didn't keep the law. We weren't justified by the law. We didn't find mercy from God in the keeping of the law. We found it in Christ. We got it in the gospel. And we got in, gospel, in the gospel of Christ, we got all God wanted us to have as far as salvation and justification and there is nothing more to get. But then these men have come round and you see them, they're sniffing around, sniffing around like rats at a rubbish bin, 
sniffing around like, like some vermin at the back of a, a cheap fast food place. And they're sniffing around and they're trying to, to bring their disease doctrine to pollute the souls and the spirits of men. And the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians is a sharp rebuke and a call to return, to repent, to, 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 to get back in line with God. In fact, after five chapters, when we come to chapter six, he, he begins, and it's almost like a whole new tone. He's dealt with the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, but then he says, brethren, James uses that phrase 17 times in five chapters. And here Paul uses it in a passionate plea to bring these people back to God, back to where they ought to be, resting in the grace and the mercy of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ye did run well. What a question. How searching. How scathing. How deep does this cut spiritually for these people who, who Paul has now laboured for, for nigh on five chapters seeking to rebuke and to correct and to draw them back to where they ought to be? It's a good question to ask ourselves today concerning Jesus Christ, concerning the gospel, concerning faith in Christ and Christ alone. These people have gone backwards. Can we ask the question this morning, are you going backwards? Are you going backwards or are you going forwards? Are you advancing? Are you growing? Are you glowing? We hear this wonderful special testimony in song to hold forth the torch to advance the light, to lift him up. Is he being lifted up? Are you perhaps in the same boat as these churches of Galatia? Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? What is the truth? The truth is Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The truth is this, that there is salvation, there neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Christ and Christ alone. Baptism on Easter Sunday, wonderful. If I, if I was here, I'd probably line up and want to do it again. Wouldn't do me any good. I mean, you know, because water doesn't wash away sin. It's a testimony of that which has already taken place in reality for eternity in your heart and your life. You have been buried with Christ in death and risen again in newness of life. Do you have Christ? You know, down through the years, I'm persuaded that there are a number of reasons why people go backwards. And one of the very simple reasons is this, a false foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid, that is Jesus Christ. God's not, not, God is not in the business of providing a myriad of ways. Right, when you go to some of these theme parks and you climb up the ladder and you've got a choice of about 10 different holes to jump in like a rabbit burrow and go sliding down into the pool. That's wonderful. That's great fun. That's summer. 
especially if you're thin and you're fit and you can get up the ladder. Me, I wait down the bottom for other people and just let them wet me, splash me, splash me. That, that works fine. It's great. What's your foundation this morning? Are you trusting Jesus Christ? Have you come as a lost, guilty, hell-deserving sinner and trusted Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Saviour? There are vacant seats here this morning where people once sat. They came for a time. They stayed for a season. But as they sat under the sound of the Word of God, as they sat and they stood and they sang uh, songs of worship and praise and, and, and listened to testimonies of the grace and the goodness of God working in the lives of people, as they've heard these things and they've seen these things, rather than encourage and strengthen their heart, it has constantly gnawed away at them and grieved them to the point where they couldn't stand to be here any longer. They couldn't stay. 1 John in chapter 2 tells us why some go back and it is these of whom I speak now. In 1 John in chapter 2 and in verse 18, John says, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. See verse 19, they went out from us. You can't go out from unless you're in. Jude speaks of these as certain men who have crept in unawares. Ungodly men. Now we often think of the word ungodly and immediately think of some guy hanging around the schoolyard in a raincoat and sneakers. Some, some wicked man driving slowly down the street waiting to see a single child walking their way to school so they can abduct them. That's evil. That's wicked. That's vile. Ungodly simply means without God. In our natural state in this world, every one of us, even those of us who are well-dressed this morning, ladies, you look lovely. Gentlemen, spiffy, spiffy. But without Christ, we are without God. And Paul would tell us in Romans, without God, without hope, without God. But these here, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They didn't fit. Well, for a time, there seemed to be a, a semblance of, of, of being there but only bodily, only physically. And he says, they went out from us, for they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Having not the Spirit. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You either know Christ as your Saviour, and you are alive in Christ, you may be at some level of spiritual growth, you may have all kinds of stuff happening in your life, but if you've trusted and received Christ by faith, you are saved. These people are not saved. They can't abide in the things of God. 
They can't enjoy the fellowship of the saints. They can't enjoy the worship of the people of God. They're not ever going to grow spiritually under the discipleship of God. They can never be good stewards of God because they have not the Spirit. They're not saved. They might, in their early days, they might tell you a story. They might give you the impressions that, yes, they've got it. But inside, they've had some emotional experience. They've had someone who has talked them into it. I've spent time with people like that. I remember sitting down with a very bitter, angry man who was a farmer. He didn't want to have anything to do with God, Jesus, church or anything anymore. Why? I remember saying to him, what's what's happening here? Why is this? And he said, let me tell you. I had a man came to my farm when we were going through a very difficult time. And as he shared with me and told me about God and told me about Jesus, he said to me, if you give your heart to Jesus, you won't have problems like this again. Whoa. <laughs> as soon as he opened his mouth and told me that, I can see where this is going pear-shaped real quick. He said, and he helped me. I was able to access some money that I didn't previously have access to. He said, I got this money out of a, of a life insurance thing I had. He said, and I pulled all that money back in. He said, and two years later, I had this huge crop of a couple of hundred acres of watermelons. And this is going to save my bacon. This is going to pay off my house, my cars, my bills, every debt. This is going to set me up for life. Praise God. And then Mosaic got into the crop. I never plucked a single melon. I lost everything. And now I'm living with my family in a dirty old lean-to thrown together of sheets of old corrugated iron and dirty old mattresses on the floor. And that's not what I signed up for, he said. That's not what they promised me when I came to Jesus. What can you tell him? Say, my friend, you were sold goods under a false pretense. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul explained to the Philippians, for unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict, he said in chapter 1 verse 29 of of Philippians, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul said, you saw me suffer not for wrong but for right. The Thessalonians understood they suffered now the same things of their own countrymen. All through the New Testament, all through the Old Testament, we see suffering for the glory of the Lord. But there are people who have some experience and they think that that will shield them eternally from any problems. A false foundation. What is your foundation this morning? Is it Christ? Is it the promise of a friend? Was it some snake oil salesman who came with with all kinds of promises in your ear? Are you the fruit of a notch of somebody's slick talk on a doorstep? 
remember my old friend brother Eccles shared with me one time how he'd been at a fast food restaurant. Probably not McDonald's, he's smarter than that. But he said he was with this other guy and he said this other guy led the young man at the cash register to trust Christ in 30 seconds while placing an order. Whoa! He said, I was so grieved, he said, I got up and walked out on him. He said, that is not soul winning. That's salesmanship. We are witnesses, not salesmen. Jesus Christ is not some glorified fire insurance policy to get you out of hell and get you into heaven and allow you to just go on living the way you please. What's your foundation this morning? Is it Christ? Have you trusted Christ? It must be Christ and Christ alone. But enough for the people who don't know Christ. You know, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that's all you need. To know that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ has paid it all. The wonderful truth of God's word that Christ died for us. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the what? Ungodly. Those who were without God. Who's without God? We're all without God. Why? Because all have sinned. The Bible says we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We're all sinners in the sight of a holy God. And Christ died for us. My friend, I give you assurance from the word of God, not from the mere mouth of a man, but from the word of God, the living word of God, Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose again victorious over sin, hell, death and the grave. And he offers to you a gift of eternal life, peace with God, forgiveness of sins, a full pardon if you will trust. Christ and Christ alone. Not your works, not your church, not your baptism. Water saved people, I'd chase everyone around town with a super soaker. Get downtown on the old, go down to Penrith Plaza with a fire hose. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Washed in the blood. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Are you trusting Christ this morning? Another thought, First Peter in chapter 2. Once we come to know Christ as Saviour, we're meant to grow in Christ. How does that happen? Well, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow. Thereby, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So we see here that God's word likens the child of God to a newborn. Now Peter, in writing this letter under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Peter knew nothing of bottles. Peter here is speaking of the breast milk of the mother. 
in all of its purity and all of its nutrition. Peter would know nothing of dummies. Now, I know in America they call them pacifiers. That's, that's, that's a terrible name for something that doesn't work. We got it right in Australia. What do they call them in the Philippines? What do they say in Tagalog? <laughs> I know a word in Tagalog, but I can never remember it. I usually end up speaking Chinese or some other language. But, uh, we call them dummies. I don't know if that's because they're named after the guy who invented them or the people who used them. <laughs> All I know is I've now had four children and seven grandchildren and they don't work. See, something that works is meant to finish the job. Something that shuts a kid up for 20 minutes is not doing the job because it's not feeding them. You know, we have so many supplements available to us today through all forms of media that we have this idea that we don't need the Word of God anymore. But the Scripture makes it abundantly clear. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That man is born again, not of corruptible seed, but by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Jesus tells us, and he meant every word of it, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And this is it, the Word of God. You know why some people are going backwards? They're not feeding. They're not feeding. We've had our, our six-week-old granddaughter in hospital, in and out of hospital, with breathing problems. But the breathing problems has left to sleeping problems and it left to uh, feeding problems. And this, this tiny little bambino, you know, what does she need? She needs to be fed. I look around churches and, I, and you know, if there's one thing we can say about our independent Baptist churches, our Bible-believing Baptist churches, we do not come behind when it comes to being fed from the Word of God. We are challenged, well-fed people in the Word. We ought to know the Word of God. But once a week? Seriously? Seriously? Folks, if many of us here, if we were to eat physically the way we eat spiritually, we'd be carried in on a stretcher. We'd be in chairs with wheels. We'd be hooked up to a drip somewhere, hopefully with coffee or something in it, but we would be so weak, so anemic. We would be so prone to every form of disease and bug going around. We, our lives would be in constant jeopardy. The whole purpose is to grow thereby. Now, I look at my six-week-old granddaughter. She's so tiny, so small, so frail. And I look at my eight-year-old granddaughter and remember that once upon a time she was like that. I look at my son who was a preemie baby, almost 12 weeks premature, weighing less than a kilo this skinny, scrawny little thing in a little plastic heat box. Now you look at him. You know what that is? That's what it's meant to do. You're meant to grow. 
God's intention has always been growth. He tells us that there. He tells us this, your attitude is to be as newborn babes. Your appetite is to be a desire for the sincere milk of the word. And, but you, the aim is growth. You notice the question that he asks? He posed this almost with, if so be you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you have tasted of the grace of God, God says you will have a hunger like a newborn babe for the word of God. I think back to my early Christian years, I could not get enough of the word of God. I had a job where I could sit and read sometimes for the whole eight-hour shift, just read my Bible. And, and I, I was loving every moment of it. Oh, I had loads of questions and, and I went to my pastor and I bombarded him with questions. I didn't realize, you know what was happening? I was growing. I was growing. I told folks, as a young Christian, still working in the coal mine, we're on, a, we're, we're on a breakdown, a shutdown, and all the men gather upstairs in this little steel box that we call a crib room. And there's an urn there, and there's a, a, a pie warmer and a sink, and there's a little bathroom in the corner. You go and wash hands and everything. And all the men gather there while the engineers come and fix whatever they're supposed to fix. And all the fellas gather upstairs and it's got a big sign up that says, no smoking. In the middle of a coal mine. And what does everyone do? Cigarette, cigarette, cigarette. Now before I was saved, I was the first one to pull out the fags. Yes, hack, yes, hack, yes, hack. And now I'm a Christian. I've been saved about two months. I remember this well. And this guy comes in and starts, hey, are you serious? He starts handing me. I said, no thanks, I don't smoke, I'm a Christian. Huh? So I'm a born-again Christian, I don't smoke. He said, oh, I know lots of people call themselves Christians, they all smoke, no, I don't smoke. I said, no, I don't smoke, I'm a born-again Christian. He said, I can't. I said, no, I said, the Bible says thou shalt not smoke. <laughs> he said, it doesn't say that. I didn't have to answer. All the other guys that I worked with jumped in and said, well, he reads the Bible all day and he says, if it's no, no smoke, don't smoke. I told my pastor and he nearly died of a heart attack. <laughs> he said, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. I had to go and find this grub and apologise for not taking a cigarette off him. No, it wasn't that. It was apologise for lying. Wow. And I didn't realise the enormity of it. But God used it to help me to grow. Here's another passage over here. Look back over here in Hebrews and chapter 5. To me, one of the saddest passages in the New Testament. One of the most valid statements concerning spiritual growth or lack thereof. These Hebrew Christians are struggling. They're not happy. Things are not going the way they planned. Maybe some snake oil salesman told them, well, you know, you trust Jesus and everything will be wonderful. And they were walking by sight, not by faith. And they're at the point of walking back to the old form, back to the temple, back to the sacrifices, 
bringing the doves and the goats and the lambs and the bulls and, and going back to all those things that pointed them to Christ. Here's a sad testimony. In verse 12 it says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. Now that's a, that, that's, that's a declaration of presumed maturity. You ought to be teachers. There are people in this church. Now, I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm going to check it out. But I think the first time I visited here was 1996. 96, 97. And this, this room didn't look anything like that back then, I can tell you. It was a bit of a rat hole. Can I help? I'm honest, Okay. You've been under the sound of the word for over 20 years. Is this, is this you? Is this possibly a description of you? For when for a time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such have had need of milk and not of strong meat. See that little baby should be growing. In a year's time, if that little six-week-old is still the same size, Poppy's going to be an unhappy person. There'll be a lot of prayer requests being sent out. We're meant to grow. We grow physically. We grow mentally. Four of our grandchildren are two years old. Thankfully, they're not all under one roof. Because when they are all under one roof, it's like the Moscow Circus is in my house. <laughs> Send in the clowns. I mean, these kids, it's wild, wild. I love it. Love it. I wind them up, fill them up with red cordial and <laughs> raspberries and snakes alive and then give them back. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Vengeance served cold. I love it. <laughs> but you're meant to be growing. And you're meant to be teaching. And you're under the sound of the word of God. And you know all these things, but you're not exercising them. See what he says here? Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. Do you get my point? There's nothing wrong with being a baby when you're a baby. Grow up. The scripture tells us that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and driven about by every wind of doctrine and the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. We're meant to grow spiritually. We're meant to grow intellectually. Meant to grow in our capability to be able to discern that which is right and that which is wrong. Just like when you come with your little children, you have to teach them, no, no, don't touch, no, smack hand. We're not allowed to smack hands anymore. I've got news. I tell all my kids, at Poppy's house, we do old school. <laughs> we pop kids on the britches and we put them over knees and we smack hands and I'm not talking chippy slap. I'm not talking little, don't you do that now. You touch my coffee cup, you're under sentence of death. 
do not do this thing. You are too young to die. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being a baby if you're a baby. But Sunday morning, pastor gets up to preach. He wants to, he wants to crack open the body. He wants to open the bain marie and, and we're going to do some, some pork chops and lamb chops and snags and T-bones and, and drumsticks and chicken breasts. and You know what most churches get? <coughs> Handing out the bottles, folks. <coughs> it's nursery time. <coughs> Grow up. What a tragedy. These people, strong meat. Belong to them that are of full age. It's not talking about being in your 60s. It's talking about the level of maturity that you're growing in Christ. And you're not only knowing what right and wrong is, you're choosing to do right. And you're choosing to live right. And we're not even having to talk about people in their 20s and 30s. Many of you here, of you children and you teens, you know what right and wrong is already. You don't need someone to play roly-poly piggybacks with you to get you to do what you should do. You know what right is. Do right. Do right. Forget what the neighbour's kids are doing. You do right. You stand up. You be strong. You exercise yourself spiritually in what you know to be true. God will bless you. God will use you. You know, more than anything else, I want to see in the life of God's people the blessing of God on their life. Many of us can live without that. We live in a day and age today where we've become very good at manufacturing the blessing of God. So that we can continue on in our worldliness and our carnality. But you mark it down. Mark it down. What's down in the well will come up in the bucket. And the day will come. You may be carnal now and nobody knows it. You're already going backwards but nobody else has noticed. But it'll come. The fruit will show. The weeds will sprout and they'll choke the word. And all of a sudden that lack of appetite, that lack of enthusiasm, that lack of obedience, that, that great root of carnality will spring up and everybody will see it. Food and fitness. It's wonderful to have the foundation. But folks, we've got to exercise the food and the fitness. We've got to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We need to seize every opportunity to grow in Christ and to serve Christ. And wonderful to have a, a, a holiday Bible club and to encourage the children to invite friends. And many times when it comes to inviting others, we're scared. They won't like me. But Jesus will love you. And I've had all of my children, all of my grown children have come to me and said, Dad, you will write. Write about what? 
I told them when they were little, don't be a follower of your friends. Be a leader. Set the standard. Draw the lines. Fly your colours, nail them to the wall and stand. Oh, why, Dad? Because when you finish primary school, all those friends, they'll be gone. You say, oh, that's bad. No, that's good. Because in high school, you get another bunch. You say, oh, that's good. No, that's bad. Because they're even worse than the, the you know, the, the six to 12-year-olds. That was Now we're doing the 13 to 18-year-olds. And they've got their little puppy eyes open. And their little tails are wagging and they've got their snoot down in the, in the trough of the world and they want more. And they want you to come and fill your life with the pig squill that they're feasting on and come follow the crowd and join the pack and be another lemming jumping off the cliff. But when you get to high school, maybe head out in the workforce, maybe head out to university, Where's all those high school? Gone, you say. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. Another time to reflect. Where am I at spiritually? What's God doing in my life? How am I doing? How am, I, am, am, I, am, am I right with God? Am I growing? Have I grown? I'm 18 now. Am I, am I spiritually stronger than I was when I was 12 and 13? Or am I still being a baby? The sad news is I know people who have been saved 30 years and they're no different than they were 30 years before they supposedly got saved. Grow up. I remember sitting in a church business meeting. We had a camp property up in, up in North Queensland at our church. And uh, there was going to be an auction down in Townsville. And uh, we had a, an, an ablutions, a shower block, toilet block. But they needed to seal the masonry block. And so they said, well, we can go and get this special bathroom panel stuff, this laminated panel that we can put into all the cubicles and, and everything to, to waterproof them. Praise God. At auction, we'll probably pay a tenth of the price. Praise God. And so the question was asked, is it okay if we give the pastor and, and brother so-and-so an open check to go down there and bid on this stuff and get what they need? We know how much we need. We know how much it costs we buy it here. We know, can we? yeah, that's great. Praise God. Good move. But then someone said, question, what colour are you going to get? And the pastor just graciously said, well, Colour really doesn't matter and we'll, we'll decide on what's available. And this guy kicks his chair over, throws his briefcase across the floor, picks up his Bible off the floor and storms out. I never get to say anything around here. Meeting over. I'm standing in the car park with the pastor with tears in his eyes saying, you wonder if they'll ever grow up. Food and fitness. Grow in grace and knowledge, but exercise it. Use it. Put it to work. You don't want to end up spiritually like I look physically, do you? Flabby, old, wasted, riddled with arthritis or whatever else, you, any other diseases you want to name? Exercise it. 
put it to work. Here's another thought. Is it possible people are going back because of the fleshly lusts? The Bible talks about this in Romans when he says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. You know, the biggest struggle I had as a little baby Christian with smoking and drinking and drugs was they were in the house. I kept these things in my house until a friend challenged me to give these things over to the Lord, to ask God to take away the desire for these fleshly things out of my heart, out of my life. And I did. And God did what he needed to do. He took away the desire, so much so that it was a simple thing to go home and tip all this stuff down the sink, chuck it in the toilet, push the button. If you've got a problem with cigarettes, you don't have a problem with cigarettes, by the way. You have a problem with your fleshly lust. You don't have a drinking problem. You have a fleshly lust. You don't have a gambling problem. You have a fleshly lust. You don't have a problem with pornography. You have a fleshly lust and you feed it. You feed it by making it available to you. It's always there. I say to young people all the time, if you've got a problem with pornography, don't get a computer. Go find yourself an old flip dumb phone and don't get a smartphone. Because a smartphone will put you one click away from any porn site you want to go visit. And the amazing thing is it's cheap and it's anonymous. Nobody knows. You can sit in your own dirty little grubby sinful corner lusting your horrible little heart out and all the while thinking nobody saw you. And forget the scripture says, Thou Lord God seest me. But the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through all the earth to behold the good and the evil. Fleshly lusts. We make provision for them. We pander to them. We feed them. We constantly nurse them along. And, you know, just like you nurse a baby, you feed it with the, reason, with, the, with the goal for it to grow. You take your fleshy lust and you feed it and you know what? They'll grow. They'll grow and they'll snuff out. Just like the seed in the parable of the sower, there in Mark chapter 4 we had seed that was stolen. Seed that was starved, seed that was strong, but we had the seed that was strangled. And what was it? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in. And we can't look at a car without saying, oh. and we can't walk past a shop without drooling on the suits or the dresses or the shoes or the handbags. I'm glad you're not a handbag man. Man myself. And we constantly, this world, the whole world is there to attract and appeal to our lust. That's why the Lord tells us in his word, love not the world. You know why? The world is lovable. As far as the flesh is concerned, gimme, gimme, let me. My weakness, see do. When I see somebody towing a Sea-Doo jet ski, I'm thinking, I've got to give you my address so you need somewhere to leave it. Give it to me. Hand it over. 
some of these people have got two and I've got none. <laughs> What's wrong with this world? Fleshly love. We've all got them. We've all got things. It might be a TV show. You know, there's some people that, that, that'll skip out on a church meeting because that show's on. Or they've got some other thing they have to do. What is wrong with this? You know, I, I, don't mind, I don't mind cricket. Most of you probably don't know what cricket is. Okay? Yeah, I know. You dip them in chocolate and you eat them in Africa. That's cricket, yeah. That's not the cricket I'm talking about. I was listening to, a, I, was, I think we were, we were scrubbing a floor somewhere. That's, that's how the Lord allows us to, to do certain overseas ministry from scrubbing and polishing floors. That's his provision. But uh, I have the radio on and I'm listening to the cricket. I think it may have been the Boxing Day test or something like that. But, and Michael Clark, in between overs, starts talking about some grubby TV show and how much he's looking forward to this episode about these men cheating on their women. And he actually made the statement, I can't wait to see this. And I stopped what I'm doing, I looked at my wife and said, what is wrong with this man? Why don't we say, hey Michael, your wife's cheating on you. Are you excited about that? How can this world be so happy about immorality? How can this world be thrilled to death about broken marriage ships, broken hearts, grieved relationships, abandoned children, confused kids who don't know whether they're man or Mary? And we're seeing a generation being put one foot on a banana skin and the other one in the grave skidding down to hell and they're excited about it. That's how strong fleshly lusts are, folks. They dominate, they rule, they reign, they ruin. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and departed Thessalonica. When they went to Thessalonica, Demas, the faithful servant of God, saw something that stuck in his mind and stuck in his heart. And it turned him away from serving Christ to serving self. Fleshly lusts. But we could speak of the fiery trials, which are not strange. Trials that God brings into our life, the scripture tells us, they're for a season. If need be, they are necessary. God says, if need be. They are temporary for a season. But they will bring glory to God. They will purify our faith, which can be very fragile and needs to be strengthened. What happens to metal in the fire? It is purified, but it is also strengthened. And it may be the fiery trial. It may be the old filthy lucre, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. For the love of money is the root of all evil. It drowns men, he says, it drowns men in destruction and perdition. Are there people who no longer walk with Christ because of money? 
because of wealth? I've had people come and say, Brother Chris, will you pray for me? I've got this wonderful job opportunity. I'm going to go out, whoop, whoop. I said, well, well, family? I mean, you know, today they do this FIFO, fly in, fly out. Oh, no, we're going to go live out there. Free house, free this, free that, blah, blah, blah. Twice the money. Blah, blah. I say, well, what about church? You got a church you can fellowship with? Well, which is just, I will not pray for you to take your family out in the desert where you can get rich and send them to hell. I will not pray for you to fill your coffers to make coffins for your family. You come to making choices with employment. Listen to me, people. You make sure that you've got a good, solid Bible-preaching church where you can anchor and serve, where you can get involved, not only get instructed by, but get involved for, to be identified with unashamedly for the gospel of Christ. Because you mark it down. If you don't, you're going back. Some are going back because they have a false foundation. They don't have Christ. Some are going back because they're not feeding on the Word of God. How's your devotional life? How's your daily walk with the Lord? How's your prayer life? How's your time in the Word? How's your witnessing? How's your giving? How's your service? Food, fitness, strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. To be able to stand in the evil day. Was there, has there ever been a day more evil than the day we have today? Can you believe the mess this country is in morally? And we don't have a moral problem. And we don't have an economic problem. And we don't have an education problem. We don't have a social problem. We have everything that is a spiritual problem. Food and fitness will make the difference. Is it money? Is it the flesh? Are you going back? You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And then we finish with Galatians 6 and verse 1, brethren. Brethren, if a man be overtaken the fault, ye which are spiritual. What's spiritual? In the context of the book of Galatians, to be spiritual means to be right with God. It doesn't mean we turn out the lights and you glow in the dark. It doesn't mean you float off the ground when you're walking. It doesn't mean any such thing. Those who, not everyone in the churches of Galatia had bought the lie. There were people here who were still strong, who were still right with God. But they've got a work to do. If you're right with God here today, you've got a job to do. Because just about every one of us knows someone who's struggling. As parents, we see it in our children. As brothers, we see it in our kin, our family. 
as men and women, young and old, we see it in our friends and others. We see it everywhere. And you know what we do? We look away. We give them the shoulder. We put on the pharisaical spirit and says, I thank thee, God, I'm not as other men. I don't do this, I don't do that. And we let them keep sliding. But he says here, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What does that mean? Go get them. Go get them. You know where they are? Find them. Love them. Pray for them. Reach out to them. Put an arm around them. And if necessary, put a hook through their nose and drag them. Get a hold of them. Love them enough to tell them, this is not right. This won't help you. This will hurt you. You know, when a parent tells a little child not to play with matches, it's not because they don't like matches. They know the pain that is going to be caused. When I see young people trifling in relationships, when I see young people gravitating to the world, I know what the world has. Nothing. Grief, shame, scars, pain a reproach and a wound and dishonour. Who could love that? But to love our brothers and our sisters and the Lord enough to reach out, bring them back, encourage them. Maybe they're discouraged, maybe they're overwhelmed, maybe they're struggling. And maybe God is going to use that in your life to reach them to reach out to them. Go get them. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for our time in the word this morning. Thank you for the kind, the patient attention of each one here. Lord, we realise that you deal so bountifully with us, so graciously in great mercy. You meet with us, you allow us to open the word, to look into the scriptures and allow your spirit to speak to and challenge hearts. And long after the doors are closed and the lights are out and the car park's empty, your word and your spirit can continue to speak. And Lord, I pray that not one person, not one soul would leave this place today without having their spiritual needs met. Lord, I pray for that one here today who does not know Christ as Saviour, who is unsure, uncertain of where they will spend eternity, who does not know what they can do, how they can be relieved of the burden and the guilt of their sin, how they can make peace with God, through the peace that has already been provided because Christ is our peace. For he was delivered for our offences and raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for that one, for their need of Christ today. I pray for that one who's struggling, unsure and uncertain and needs a word from the word of God to give them that security of knowing that it's settled, that it's fixed, that it's finished and that they can put their doubts and fears behind them and go on and grow in Christ and hold forth the word of life for your glory and for your praise. And Lord, we pray for those of your children here who may be struggling. We've not been feeding on the word. We are well fed in church, but once a week to feed is not enough. We know that physically, but it is a great truth also spiritually. And our prayer life and our devotional life our witness, our testimony, our giving, our sharing. All of these things come as we grow in Christ. We need the word of God. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need to rally round our brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage and challenge one another to provoke one another, as the scripture says, unto love and to good works. So we ask that you help us, encourage us this morning to get help, to seek help and know that you will be sufficient for every need. Lord, for those, that one here who's struggling, feeling overwhelmed, totally swamped by sin, wrong choices, wrong affections, wrong desires, wrong ambitions, wrong choices that have been made and already we've made choices that are bearing terrible, terrible fruit in our lives. The world would persuade us that we just hang in there, stick with it. She'll be right, mate. It'll all come good and it will never be good because it's sin. And it needs to be confessed and it needs to be forsaken. And we thank you that we can see our sin washed in the blood of Christ, to be forgiven. Oh Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning in these few quiet moments and be glorified in our obedience to the Spirit of God as you would speak. With our heads bowed, can I ask you this morning, my friend, as a Christian, you would say this morning, Brother Chris, would you pray for me? God's speaking to my heart and I am struggling. I'm not where I ought to be spiritually and I know it. And if I keep going this way, it won't be long and everybody will know it because I am seriously struggling. Choices I've made, areas where I've exercised wrong desires and I need help. first step for help is forgiveness. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God, you may have been straying for weeks or months or even years, but I thank God it doesn't take long to get back with God, to get right with God. 
And I'd challenge you, I'd encourage you, do that. But get help. Someone to talk to, someone to pray with. Seek counsel. Build an accountability with someone to pray with you, to share with you, to stand by you, strengthen you. Say, Brother Chris, would you pray for me this morning? There are some things in my life I need to give over to the Lord, some issues I need to deal with, and I would like you to pray for me. Just remember me in prayer that I'll get right with God, that I'll do right, that I will perform that which God's put upon my heart. If that's your need this morning, my friend, as a brother in the Lord, could I pray for you as we close this morning? If that's your need, would you quietly slip up your hand where you are? I'd like to pray for you. Yes, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Thank you. Brother Chris, would you pray for me? There's some things in my life that I, I'm uncertain. I need to get some direction from God. And maybe the problem is you've not been seeking him with a whole heart because you've not been feeding on the word. And a dusty Bible makes poor vision. Poor vision. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Say, Brother Chris, would you pray for me? I need to put my strength in the Lord. I need God to empower me. I've got things that I need to do for God. People he's put on my heart I need to share the gospel with. I cannot do this in my own strength. Praise God for that. But you can do it in his. Say, Brother Chris, would you pray for me this morning? in my walk with the Lord and my witness for him. Would you please pray for me? Yes, thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Praise God. Some of you children, you young people, are going to go out and invite some friends. You can't do that in the power of flesh. You can't do that in your own strength. You need to ask God, Lord, you help me. Give me boldness. Give me courage. He will never leave you. He won't forsake you. Unlike worldly friends that can hang you out to dry, he will not. Perhaps there's one person here this morning who say, Preacher, I am that one that does not know where I will spend eternity. I am that one who does not know that I know Christ. And I want to know. I want to know that I am a child of God. I want to know that I know Christ. And you can know. On the authority of God's word, the Bible, you can know. And so I would ask you, if you are that one that does not know Christ or is unsure where you're going to spend eternity, not sure that you're a Christian, not sure that you're saved, I would like to pray for you, my friend, before we close in prayer this morning. If that's your need, would you slip up your hand before we close in prayer? I'd like to pray for you. Anyone at all. Preacher, would you pray for me, please? Brother Chris, would you pray for me this morning for this need of assurance, this need of salvation? Would you please pray for me? Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word speaking to the hearts of so many of your children this morning. We're thankful, Lord, that you are working in lives. You've chosen us as ambassadors for Christ. 
as vessels of honour. And even if our service for you were to appear to be but a drink offering that is poured out upon the sacrifice of others, we're thankful we can live for you and serve you. Lord, help these who have asked for prayer this morning. They would seek your face and that they would seek help. Lord, help us not to be pretentious that everything's okay if we know in our own heart it is not so. Have your will and your way with each one. That these who have asked for prayer, Lord, bless them, encourage them, strengthen them, meet them at their point of need. Show yourself sufficient as you indeed are. Deal graciously with them. Help. For vain is the help of man. We'll give you the praise and the thanks for that which you do in Christ's name. Amen.